Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. You may not remember my voice. My name is Wade and I at least was one of the co-hosts of the podcast. I am now back after a break. The guys admirably filled the time without me. Uh, the episodes I listened seemed shorter. There were less interruptions, um, more flow. Uh, I don't mean to list all those negatives uh, in a way that, that I of saying that they didn't do a good job. Uh, but I'm happy to be back here with you. And since I am back, Ben and Mike are not here in protest. Apparently they, deserve, they uh, enjoyed it so much without me that they have decided not to join us. But I did manage... Um, in Christian charity, uh, Peter just has a great sense of patience and mercy and grace. He has joined me now here in my backyard, and so I thank you for that, Peter. I, I think that uh, Ben and Mike may have started their own podcast, um, Let the Berg Fly or something like that. I'm not sure. So That that could well be. That's a name that Mike has In fact, they wanted floated. me to record with them tonight, but I decided to come here because you offered me um, Carla Vaco, so... Yeah, we are. I went to uh, Discount Liquor, free plug for uh, Discount Liquor, three blocks from my house. And uh, they always have some Croatian beer because we live in a a Serbian neighborhood. And uh, they had even more Croatian beer than normal because of the World Cup stuff. Uh, I was very disappointed to see my team. Uh, I believe it was Ben or Peter correctly predicted that yeah, I would I would pick Croatia. I was as my just going to ask if that's what you would because that, that's what I predicted. But I, no one no one really argued with that. I think. Yeah, and it. Uh, I uh, I've been calling them, and I know this is something people haven't said before, but I'm not going to trademark it or anything. The flying flations. Oh, that's and, that's clever. Yeah, yeah I, that's I thought great. of that I when like I was that. down on vacation with the family. And you I should, thought they you should really consider trademarking. I mean, that's really that's really good, and it goes along with the whole you know you study flacious, so it makes sense yeah. for you to say that. No, I thought it was witty, and I'm I'm glad it came to me. But uh, so we have a, an assortment of uh, Croatian beers for Peter. And I too enjoy. I, I think uh, for a country of four million people, they showed very impressively in the World Cup, and uh, that was about all I cared about with the World Cup. I'm not sure, uh, Peter. Did anyone use their hands? <laughs> I don't believe so. Did I don't the, think the that's fair allowed. play rule come so. into effect at <laughs> no, all? No, we didn't get to. We didn't get no to that tiebreaker because of a, a yellow card. Or we were uh, we were watching the Croatian uh, England game. So was that the was that the semifinals? Yeah, semifinals. Was right? that the game where the England fans got really drunk and rioted after? I didn't. I don't pay oh, attention. Oh wait, I think that was every game. I think that was every game. Yeah. No, I was watching it with uh, and uh, there was a, with Ben. We were at work, but we were working in a room that had a TV, and so it was on. And um, there was a guy there who knew, knows nothing about soccer, and uh, so Ben's like filling him in, him in on the rules and. When he got to the point, he's like, so how long is a, is a match? And Ben's like, well, 90 minutes, but then they have the extra time that they put on. And he's like, well, how do they decide that? And yeah. Ben says, well, the referee just, you know, just tells him how much it's going to be. And he was just, he was completely scandalized by this and said, this isn't a sport. This is, this is complete anarchy. It right. Is. And I don't like it either. It seems like it'd be easy to be biased. I was confused. The news was showing that um, apparently after the victory, some in France were pretty much burning France down. And uh, the news was reporting on this as if it should be discouraged. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I just didn't understand. I'm just joking. That's for a, uh, a friend of mine, Marco, will appreciate that joke. Um, but I was happy with the Croatian showing. That being said, uh, Ben and Mike, when they listen to this, are going to message me and say, Wade's back and already the intro is way longer uh, than uh, some sections of their last 
two podcasts. But I will say, I enjoyed the episodes. I thought uh, Professor Paustin did just a phenomenal job. I was a little upset that you guys talked Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer without me. Um, I think you tried to pick two topics you know I would like to talk about. Uh, but I think I th- we talked a lot of Kierkegaard really early on in the podcast, and he hasn't really made a huge uh, reappearance lately. So yeah. maybe we, maybe at some point we just need to pick a work of his and do it. But I thought you and Professor Paustin did a very good job with it, and um, Mike occasionally said things, and I thought Ben was rather humorous. So I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I was going to joke and say it was a bit self-indulgent or this or that, but... But I thought you guys did well, and I'm happy to be back, even if it is only with Peter. Uh, Peter and I had a wide array of subjects that we considered talking about today. If you've been listening to us from the beginning, and I'd encourage you to maybe go back and check back out the early episodes. They were a little rougher. We were getting our feet underneath us. Um, but Peter and I have had some some good discussions in the past, and still one of my favorites is, uh, what was it, outside the something outside the fortress, or we talked about... Um, it kind of was a springboard for what you did with Professor Paustin. Yeah, um, going outside the fortress or something like that. Something. Yeah. It was one of the first five, yeah. six episodes. I, I want to say it was episode four, but not positive. I don't have okay, my computer. But, um, but we're kind of, you know, I had a, a list here, what Wade and Peter want to talk about. <laughs> I put a lot into that title. And out of it, uh, and I have some topics that maybe met down the road we'll talk about, objective versus subjective, egoism versus altruism, faith and reason, um, some Dostoevsky. Libertarians or socialists? I don't know where Peter would fall on that. Uh, Nietzsche, authorial intent on the Bible reading us. And uh, what we settled on was uh, one of them I had there, should we think about death? And I'm guessing if you're a listener, uh, that question maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable even. Should we think about death? Maybe you're wondering, what, did you hear something about me? Um, I would oftentimes when I did hospital visits, open them with, I've got bad news, you're dying. And sometimes they were in there like to have a toenail removed or something. <laughs> and they'd be like, what did the doctor say? And I would then, you know, go to Genesis 3 and be like, no, we're just in a fallen, dying world. And I found that a very effective way, A, to really scare my people and make them not want me to come back to the hospital, um, but B, to get to a good discussion of uh, the confidence they could have in Christ in the midst of that. But that's what we'll be talking about. Uh, should we think about death? And as we uh, prepare to talk about thinking about death, maybe this would be a good point to mention, we are a part of the 1517 uh, Podcasting Network. Peter, you've been listening for a while to these. I know, and I have too. Any ones that have really stood out lately? Any any episodes that you remember or a podcast, one of them specifically you've really been enjoying, or one of them you just really don't like? <laughs> well, the, 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 the few that I just find myself kind of eager to, to listen to our uh, um, Virtue in the Wasteland, Thinking Fellows, and uh, and Ringside with the Preacher Men. Those are just, I just keep coming back to them, but they're all they're all great, and I've, uh, I uh, have them all in my podcast feed now, and I, I get the updates and listen to almost all of them pretty regularly, so. Yeah, and uh, Virtue's had a pretty fun little series going on, and uh, I always appreciate Virtue in the Wasteland because they, uh, because they can go longer than us. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Is they make us seem more condensed. Thinking fellows, I listen to, and I just feel bad when all of a and sudden all, it's over. Makes me feel guilty. And they were on topic the whole time. Like, how do they get all that into forty minutes? Yeah, it. Uh, so I, I mean, I know that they don't mean to burden our conscience, but but uh, they do. Yeah, and then ringside, you know, they like to say, "Oh, we're short, we're not long," like some of these other podcasts. <laughs> 
they go way long. They just ring a bell sometimes that they don't actually really stick to. I know that they, often. There's either. this random bell that gets rung. Ding, and, ding, ding, ding. And then ding. they just change topics. And all now the we time. keep going. Yeah. So <laughs> they might go longer than us on a number of episodes. I I could be wrong, yeah, but no, virtue definitely goes the longest. And uh, the thirty minutes and this, forty minutes and that, good stuff. But it really does what it says. I yep. mean, they stick to that. Um, I'm really glad we didn't pick a title that was like, say, 90 minutes and whatever, <laughs> and then we couldn't stick to it. So I, uh, what are we at for the intro time-wise right about, now, Peter? About eight and a half minutes. Yeah. Eight and a half minutes. That is great. That uh, It's good to be back. I'm happy to be able to contribute, and we will make our way to the scripture narrative. brings us to our scripture narrative, which will be, uh, largely unless we decide to comment upon it, a section from the Sacred Meditations by Johann Gerhardt. John Gerhardt um, was a very uh, famous Lutheran theologian. Um, hopefully, one of these days we'll be having uh, Dan from Virtue in the Wasteland on, Daniel Van Voris, about his newest book with 1517, The Legacy Project, on, um, on the... Uh, German Lutheran writer and, and pastor uh, Arndt, and Arndt very much influenced Gerhardt and was influenced by Gerhardt. I read that while in Myrtle Beach and really enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to hopefully making that happen via Skype. Um, but Johann Gerhardt is uh, known mostly for being a dogmatician, meaning he systematized stuff, and he wrote these very large volumes of systematic theology. And uh, systematic theology is very important. Um, and it's also very useful if you're having trouble sleeping. Um, I'm just joking. It's, it's very important. Um, it's not for everyone. And so some of you may never have read much Gerhardt, or you read some and you thought, this is over my head. But um, what some people don't realize is that Gerhardt also wrote a number of devotional works. Um, several of them have been translated now and are in English. Uh, one of them I translated a while back, and that's now a translation that is available through 1517, the, the Legacy Project, and uh, New Reformation Publications. And that is then his sacred meditations, his Meditatione Sacrae. And he has, I think, just very wonderful, helpful devotions for various um, parts of the Christian life, events people are going through. And he has a couple on death. And I honestly used to photocopy these and give them out to people um, when I would meet with them to prepare a funeral. Uh, extremely helpful. And Gerhardt wrote these in a time when he himself was sick. He didn't know what his future would be. And so um, with the encouragement of Arndt, if I'm not mistaken, he reads a number of church fathers in addition to the scriptures. Um, you know, he's influenced by Thomas Akempis. And uh, he really is just um, wrestling with the scriptures. And so this is from, uh, oh shoot, it's Roman numerals, XLIV, that's 44, right, Peter? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, Super Bowl uh, Latin there. Yeah. <laughs> Consolations in who the- Who won Super Bowl for you? I'm just kidding. I honestly don't remember who won. No idea. Do you know who no. won? Do you really know or no? I, no, I, don't, I don't remember. Don't, I don't pay attention to Super Bowls. I'm a Vikings fan. I do pay attention. I don't remember. <laughs> do you really remember or not? No, I don't. <laughs> that's going to bother me now. Sorry. The Patriots lost break. to someone. Who did they lose to? 
We'll have to look it up in the break. We'll Croatia, tell you the free think. for all. Um, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> this is consolation in the death of friends. Life is gained in death. And uh, today I got a phone call that uh, one of my wife's uh, uncles had died. Um, the pastor has another funeral he will be doing. And so I will be doing my first funeral in about four and a half years. It's hard to imagine. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. But it's something that's been on my mind today then as I'm thinking again about going through the funeral liturgy and funeral texts and things of that nature. So this is what Gerhardt had to say, Consolation in the Death of Friends. Consider Christ your Savior, devout soul, and you will not fear the terror of death. If the violence of death grieves you, let the power of Christ encourage you. The Israelites could not drink water from Marah because of its bitterness, but Jehovah showed Moses a tree, which after it was thrown in the water made it sweet. If you are terrified because of the bitterness of death, the Lord shows you a tree, which converts it into sweetness, namely the branch coming forth from the root of Jesse. And that's, lo- that's gold right there. That's yeah. enough reason to read. That branch is Christ. If anyone keeps his word, he will not see death in eternity. Life is full of burdens. Therefore, the alleviation of them is good. The misery of the Christian, not the Christian himself, dies. The departure of the soul that we suppose to be death is not an exit, but a transition. We don't lose our loved ones. We send them on before us. And that's a wonderful Old Testament picture. They do not die, but arise. They precede us, not leave us. They depart. It is not death, but departure. The migration of the pious is to renewal. The funerals of the pious are a kind of collection of interest, cashing in the cashing in this life on loan for the real benefits in eternity. Our loved ones die. See in this that they cease sinning, cease being tossed about, cease being miserable. They die in the faith. See in this that they depart from the shadow of life so that they pass through to true life out of darkness and into light from men to God. Life is a voyage. Death is its safest port. And, uh, this is not to to sell books, but I will say uh, it's hard to put that better than Gerhardt put it. I I was tempted at a lot of funerals just to read this devotion, but Peter will be talking about later than considering death. But any thoughts on on that? No, it's beautiful beautiful imagery and very pastoral. I mean, it just clearly clearly what he's trying to do is is comfort the soul, comfort the um, the sinner, excuse me, and uh, and convince them or assure them that there's uh that this isn't something isn't something to be feared despite the obvious innate fear that we have um, because of death yeah beautiful well then maybe we'll just close with the little prayer Gerhardt uses at the end taken from job holy god what you have given you have taken away blessed be your name forever And we're back with the free-for-all where you wrestle with life's pressing questions. And we're in the middle of summer here in the throes of it. And so we thought uh, we should talk about summer vacations because partly uh, my family actually took a vacation this summer. But before we get there, Wade, we forgot the disclaimer. And I just want to make sure that we're, we're covered here. So if you... Uh, just if as a reminder, Ben still 
is legally um, responsible for anything we say, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's why I just want to kind of put this out there. But yeah, if you're if you're wondering, go back to the early episodes. We make that very clear in the first few episodes. This show does not speak for our churches, our church bodies, our employers, or our podcast um, fellowship. <laughs> to be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost anything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Now, if you're expecting to hear music at that point, we messed it up. So this I is messed just, it up. I'll yeah. be honest, Peter. I, is, I had an eight-minute introduction and didn't do the one eight, thing I'm supposed to do for minutes. sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, so anyway, we got that out of the way. So let's talk about family vacations. What have you done this summer? Uh, I know you've, you've been traveling around mostly for ball, I think, but what's the, what's the deal? Yeah, you guys were amazingly productive in my absence, which I think probably wasn't a coincidence. But uh, I was gone for one week so far this summer, but otherwise I've been gone a lot in the area. Um, we've got five kids, five play ball, four are in club ball. Uh, Sophie wrapped up her rookie softball season. Have you counted this year. lately? Because I find that if you don't count for a while, all of a sudden there's more kids. Uh, that that's the dangerous possibility. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were in Myrtle Beach. It uh, we've had Ziggy's the only kid whose team has really played out of state a few times now. But they got to do the Field of Dreams last year in Iowa. And this year, we went to Myrtle Beach. They got to play the Cal Ripken experience, and so the whole family went down. Uh, the team had kind of houses in a neighborhood down there, which we we paid less for a three-bedroom, three-bath house than we've paid for a hotel rooms in rural Wisconsin for tournaments. Yeah. Um, so Airbnb or something like that? I don't know how they figured it out, some sorcery, but uh, <laughs> we were two blocks from the ocean, and they got to play a bunch of Southern teams and uh, show them what Wisconsin is about. Uh, they lost in the semifinals. They they were really down to uh, uh, probably seven healthy players. They had two that had just been cleared or weren't quite cleared probably, but <clears throat> but could play um, before they went down. And uh, boys played their heart out. Um, they took it to some Southern teams, showed them, uh, you know, I just wanted to be like Big Ten you know, take that, whatever. Some hostility to the South here. Is this like, well, you know, I mean... People who know me, you've, well, you've, we've not talked a lot of sports, Peter, but I really don't like the SEC. So th- so this isn't like 160-year-old hostility that's bubbling up? No, okay. although I um, I did point out to the kids that, uh, that these used to be slave states. <laughs> um, I think that's something that just tarnishes your record for a while. <laughs> well, yeah. And the kids should know that. They should, they should know their history. Right. <laughs> and uh, but um, no, just to go down and they they played some really good ball against good teams. I'll, um, but even run ruled a couple from down there, and it. Uh, I was I was proud of the coaches. I was proud of the kids, and uh, you know Myrtle Beach is kind of like Wisconsin Dells on the ocean. So there's a, a lot <laughs> of tourist good. stuff. I like that. Yeah. Um, and that's and, not and necessarily most people are saying what's Wisconsin Dells, but I mean. Right. Um, it's kind of like Myrtle Beach, except Michigan, not on the ocean. Imagine like Frankenmuth. Um, I'm trying to think in Minnesota what Minnesota has that would be like it. I don't know. Frankenmuth was, would be offended by that because it's touristy, but it's like, you know, cute. Quaint, I've been to Frankenmuth enough so. times that they. <laughs> I, I'll stop myself. Um, but the uh, got to go in the ocean. The ocean, overrated. I've been in the ocean before. 
it reminded me why Lake Michigan is better. I've got a whole list of reasons, but um, we, when Maggie and uh, Trisha went down and saw the uh, sunset the last day before we came back, they saw some sharks. Later that week, report, sharks bit a girl. There's jellyfish. There's, it's filled with things that can hurt you. And then you swim in it, and it gets in your face. And it's not just salty. It is salty as all. It's like offensively salty. <laughs> you know, it, Lake Michigan, you, you're going to get E. coli or whatever from when we dump our sewage in yeah, there. Yeah, from Milwaukee. Uh, but there's nothing that's, that's not natural to man, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah, so the the sort of things that, uh, you know, made, made the Middle Ages the Middle Ages. You know, right. man just living in his this own This is film. human history. This is what we've always done. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, the waves are nice. I like the waves, but like Michigan has waves. Um, the beaches are, the sand seems largely to be the same. It, uh, I, I, it made me appreciate the Great Lakes. Um, but that being said, we got to go get salt in our face and, uh, the waves were really big sometimes, but you know what was in the waves? Sharks. sharks, yeah, yeah, um, and sharks are not friendly creatures. It uh, so like if you had a shark and a polar bear, and you were like facing them off. No, we already did that. You know, I was just praying for a hippo <laughs> because that would have taken care of everything. But um, but no, the ocean's all right. It's okay. Um, I don't get the uh, the south seems nice every time I go down there. But I don't get like what makes it. I would take winter over summer in the south. Like that—that's their winter. Like when there's just parts of the day where you can't go outside right. or whatever yeah. else. Um, and that's not a, anything against southern people. They have had some of their own issues, as I've alluded to. Um, but uh, overall, the people were lovely, um, and uh, I—people I, are great. There's some cool like setup stuff, you know. Uh, some of the neighborhoods, I don't like it, but I see why some people could like it. It seemed like in Charleston, they would have like a business sign, but then the business was like in a forest, so you couldn't quite see it. <laughs> and I get like the logic to that of having like a more natural landscape. Growing up in cities, I kind of like the city being city, so it's not my thing, but I think it's cool. That so you want like more concrete streetlights? There's a business there. Less Just trees. be there, you know, but but I do like the intentionality of it. I think there's something cool to that. Um but uh, I think ocean overrated. I think they don't have enough traffic lanes for the tourists they get. Um, well, driving down Florida, it just yeah. seems like they just need to have like, like a third of the the third middle third of the state needs to be just like just one pave it over big pavement, yeah, right? Just because those towns exist because there. they're on the highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, and that way people can actually get in and out of there. Yeah, but I think otherwise it was fun. It was good ball. Uh, even the team we lost to in the, the semis was from Alabama. I sometimes tease Alabama because I had good members in my former parish from Alabama, and they would just rub it in every time Alabama smoked some Big Ten team <laughs> and exposed them. Roll Tide. But you know what? It just reconfirmed to me how nice Alabama people are. Um, Ziggy's team was up, ended up losing at the end, kind of got burnout. They just The pitchers were tired. and uh, But nice, great coaches, good kids. Um, it was just a fun experience, fun tournament, and uh, got to get some good southern barbecue, had some lobster. I have to say... Did you have any moral qualms about that? No, I considered it and ate it right away, but, but lobster you did roll... did consider the lobster? Yeah, northern lobster roll, when I've normally had it, is hot. I learned that 
apparently like the true lobster roll, the lobster's cold. Hmm. And I'm going to say, not a fan of that. No? It wasn't bad. So you're not a fan of cold lobster roll? How, what do you, how do you feel about salt it's water? It's like what, you just pull it out of the water and eat it then. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it, uh, so, uh, but the seafood, what, crab cakes were great. Um, it's more a Maryland thing, but Myrtle Beach likes to have a little bit of everything. So it was a good vacation. That's our only, like, getaway vacation in four years. We have not vacationed out of the state unless you count my parents' house. And uh, so it was good. Peter, you went to more states, and I'm guessing you'll have a less abrasive take um, <laughs> on regions of our... I, I just want to say, too, like, the South has made a lot of progress. You know, like, this is not... I just, you know, it's something that happened there that didn't just, happen in Michigan. <laughs> it's true, I guess. Um, like, unfortunately, national championships <laughs> in the last 20 years. But sorry, Peter, go ahead. Um, no, we went. We, we took our first family vacation in uh, out of state in... Uh, other than just to visit family, I guess, in at least four years as well. In fact, when we were down in Texas, we would always take vacation up to Wisconsin to visit family, and that was just what we did every time. And so being in Wisconsin close to family kind of freed us up. And so we took a, a two-week vacation in June, went to Colorado. That was just indulgent. And it was. That is decadent. It was. It, we went to Colorado for a week to celebrate my um, in-law's 40th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, uh, Ken and Karen. And, uh, we love you. Then, we love you, Ken and Karen. <laughs> and then uh, I don't think they actually listened, but you know, it just sounded right to say that. But I so. do love them. Oh, and Jesus. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we went to Texas to visit some old friends and some family that lives down there for a week as well. And you we know kind who's of thought, not down there anymore? I assume you knew it when you went, but... Um, Pastor Madsen, Pastor friend, Madsen, friend of the show. Yeah. 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 Pastor Madsen, uh, he was on Lutheranism, what was it, Lone Star Lutheranism episode? Uh-huh. I don't remember what number that was. So Maybe did you go teens. back to the area where you and Pastor Madsen were before? When we you did, yeah. Them? We went to Fort Worth and, and uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Stayed with some friends, stayed with some my aunt and uncle. and Yeah. It was, what? A, it was a great time. My aunt and uncle. Your aunt and uncle? Yeah, my, my aunt and uncle. <laughs> what is this aunt? <laughs> hey, we should talk about Augustine sometime. Yeah, Mike said that <laughs> wrong in whatever episode he... By the way, I, that, this is... You can't consider authors unsafe or before Lutheranism. Like... There, there was no way Augustine was Lutheran or not Lutheran. Like who, Augustine? Yeah, I also want to say like this whole unsafe thing. I think you guys had to define what do we mean by unsafe? Because I think we did. A, I think we did a fine job. It was. I know people who say Luther's unsafe because he wrote the Heidelberg Disputation and believed that faith is a gift from God. That, are you are you suggesting that we shouldn't read Luther? No, I'm saying like I, you guys. Like everything's unsafe, unsafe, unsafe. I felt like you were OSHA or something. <laughs> well, I think the point was that you know you that there are reasons to read things that other people might might right. deem unsafe. Yeah, but they should so. maybe stop calling it unsafe sometimes. Well, that, that could be. I, I mean, mean, Augustine's words words are just the uh, they're, thing, they're a, a close approximation can, at best. You, well, you can disagree with me, Peter, if you want. But this is my take on Augustine, and I share it quite readily is that Augustine had two big faults, right? And one of them you're going to disagree with is his Neoplatonism. Yeah, that's that's not a fault, but right. go ahead. And second was he ruined sex for like 1,500 years yeah, that'll for be. the West. Yeah, although... Not I, just sex, but like the... And I apologize, earmuffs, if you got kids listening, but just anything, if, to use a mic word, he ruined physicality. Yeah. And I would say that's partly because of his Neoplatonism, but I'm sure you're going to... Yeah, I would I would disagree with that, but... um. I would say it's interesting because he felt like his biggest fault was going after a pair that, that you know, 
wasn't even very good to eat, but right. that's yeah. maybe, which is a great way, like a great analogy for, um, <laughs> you know, it just like, I've got this kid now who, and I had this concubine and something know. like that. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't think Augustine's so we, unsafe. Like the worst thing that's going to happen if you read Augustine is like you get a chastity ring or promise ring or what do you call those things? I don't know. And um, then you I think decide was, you're going to fast like Monday, Wednesday, I Friday. I think that was kind of our point, though. And, and Mike was saying that uh, someone had told him, you know, that Augustine was, was unsafe and he just dismissed that. And I said, yeah, that's not Aug- I'm not talking about the British saint. Oh, you're not? Yeah. Okay. But uh, So we went to uh, Colorado and then we went to Texas. And <laughs> in Colorado, we, uh, we were at the went to Colorado or the Rocky Mountain National Park, Pikes Peak. Garden of the Gods. It was gorgeous. I'd never been to the Rocky Mountains. And this Mountains. is all nature, like, I'm noticing. Yeah, this is all nature. Yeah, we were okay. outside. Um, weather was wonderful. Went to Texas. It got a little warm, but that's to be expected in June in Texas. And um, Was Texas a slave and, state? I can't remember. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was it really? It was, yeah. Southern I thought it was state. one of those that wasn't. No, it was. It was a southern state, so it's there. But what there were some that were up for grabs. Like, See, and this is, I stopped studying history once we get to America, but uh, wasn't like Missouri, Kansas? Those were up for votes, right? Well, Kansas was not, if I remember it, Kansas wasn't a state yet, and it was actually, uh, they a were territory, a territory, that and that sense. was part of what But Texas them. was always just... Yeah, yeah, Texas was, was a slave state. It was, uh, there's some difference there, but I can't remember exactly some, it wasn't deep south. I mean, I guess me part sad. of it is I didn't you don't think have, Texas was. You don't have the big plantations because of the the uh, um, geography of Texas. But, but slavery is really wrong, whether it's done on plantations I, or not, is I kind my of take. tend to agree with that, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know... A, a so Texas must have been the most westward that slavery yeah. went, huh? Well, yeah, I don't think there was anything. Did you bring this up west. with your friends down there? Um, no, but they do study like Texas history in school, like they but have that's to, all and that's glorified, you know, isn't it? Yeah, like, so they don't like, talk about the slavery. God part. created the world, and then like the Alamo, <laughs> and, and then uh, and then I don't uh, know George W. Bush. I don't know what, what he oil created, or something. He gave angels a place to dance. Is that what they? Yeah, country song says. It, uh, sorry, go ahead so, though. Texas was wonderful. We got to um, see that when we were down there. Ben Ben uh, messaged me at one point and said, uh, "You know, are you uh, are you eating a lot of brisket?" And I messaged him back and said, "All we've had is brisket and Tex-Mex." And he messaged me and said, "Oh, it's Tex-Mex." I was, that goes back to Oliva. Did she get her? Was it Rosas? Rosas, yeah. She did that was, get, that was sorry, like one of the ahead, first though, places yeah. we went. Yeah, okay, she was sorry. very excited. Um, yeah, we went to Rosas and we went to Fuzzy's. I got a T-shirt from Fuzzy's Taco Shop. Like it was, that was the place I said. Um, there was also on the way back, we went through Missouri, and there was a Fuzzy's in Missouri that we saw. So I feel like it's not a regional, it's not a regional place type anymore. Of fuzzies. So, yeah, yeah, there's no, a no, Fuzzy's in Saginaw, Michigan that is no, an no, ice cream shop. Fuzzy's Taco Shop. They got the fish on the in the logo. Is it Shop S H O P or S H O P P E? I don't, I don't know what those E's do on the end anymore. Um, I think it says you were in a slave state. Oh. <laughs> I would guess most of the S-H-O-P-P-E's are not <laughs> former slave states. Would that like be correct? Spelling that, I feel like it's like we're sitting at the kitchen table and don't want the kids to know what we're saying, so we start Put spelling Put an E things. on the end of yeah. everything? Yeah. Um, no, Texas was great, though. We had, a, we had a lot of fun and got to hang out with uh, with family and friends. And you know, It had been four years since we've been down there, and the girls had a blast, and they got their souvenirs with Texas flags. It's a uh, fun little fact. There's It's fairly easy to find... Texas souvenirs I in Texas. There's nothing little in Texas. Nothing little, yeah. Fun no. big fact. Fun big fact. There you go. Um, Texas shaped cookie cutters. You know, Texas key rings. Now, do you earrings. think Oliva? Did you ask her? This is always the big thing. When you go back to something you love, 
writing this thing has become like kind of like an existential like mark of who you are. Um, you know, it's part of your youth, part of your formative years. You go back. Do you think Texas was what she expected it to be, or do you think there was part of her that kind of thought Texas was not? what her childhood eyes remembered of it. I think she... Did roses taste just as good? Oh, she was... Or was it like when you're trying to eat the roses you ate years ago? (laughs) No, she was pretty sure that this was at least as good as she remembered and probably much better. But I feel like there's still some some Texas-colored glasses that she's wearing, so... You should have set her up for more angst. Well, the the biggest part was so she, her her best friend is in Texas. They were about the same age and a couple of months. You know apart. who my best friend is, Peter? Um, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we were concerned that you know she's gonna they're gonna get together and they're just gonna be like, yeah, I guess I guess we're not such good friends anymore because it's been four years and you know that's mm-hmm. almost half our life. And it turned out that they just fell right in and they've been you know you know messaging back and forth ever since we left so yeah and that's how jesus is with me sometimes i take a few months off and (laughs) we fall back in and he's always there for you we're good yeah it's uh so when you came back from texas what way did you go well we uh came through missouri and stopped in st louis saw the arch i'd never been up in the arch so driven past it Uh, dozens of times i did that as a kid so i don't know if it was what i remember it now well it's i mean it was it was an experience it was uh they have the same tram cars that take you up there as they've always had, and you know it was it was fun to do. I'm glad we did it, and the girls had fun. I like Longer St. Louis because wanted, it seems like a state, like a city that's really trying to, like, take Detroit's mantle. It, yeah, I would violence. say so. Yeah. yeah. So I was in Chicago one time, and and um, with uh, some friends, and we had a an, an night. We were just didn't have anything to do, and we decided we were going to go for a little road trip. And so we said, well, we looked at a map, and we said we'd go to St. Louis or Detroit. And I thought, what's the difference? And uh, then I found out that Detroit was 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 east of Chicago. Evidently, that was yeah. news to me. But we ended up going to St. Louis. Probably was good because we made it out alive. And I do like I've been to St. Louis uh, a couple times, but it just when you look statistically, St. Louis is really making a push on the whole crime thing. Yeah. Well. So they had that. Chicago that. is too. They're helping us out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think Detroit is is doing itself some favors too, right? So. I think it was. I think this was a bad year. Oh, okay. But uh, but I think it was making progress. So. It's uh, still a place I'm not planning on retiring, but... I am. I mean, I know you are. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll just so have you to be came back, pals, Missouri? So. Yeah, I came St. back. St. Louis, and then, Chicago. And then I came back. I had to you know, go back to work then on Monday. So that was Ben hard on you when weeks. you got back to work? Yeah, very hard. And Ben had taken one of those weeks off as well, so I felt like it was a little hypocritical of him. But um, then he pointed out that I'd only been working full-time for one week before I took two weeks vacation, and I didn't understand the problem. But And Ben went to Rome, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I believe there was some sort of rebaptism or something. That yeah, what was that something about? Is he still Christian? Oh, he said there was a religious experience. Maybe if he comes back on the podcast at some point, or you could find his podcast. Um, whatever let he the and ben Mike fly. are doing now, yeah. Let I the banner, let the called. Berg fly, or yeah. whatever it is. All right, we're taking a while on this, and I apologize uh, if we can sting, steal uh, from the ringside a little bit. Maybe I'll apologize to former st- uh, slave states. <laughs> I apologize to St. Louis, the ocean, yeah. and salt. Salt is not a bad thing in to and of itself. Um, in general, ah, Alabama. No. Um, Texas. Yeah. No, Alabama people are really nice. In Texas, I I don't want to apologize because I had a hot, I mean, I, I didn't even realize you guys had any, you know, I only knew your good history, like Alamo and Davy Crockett <laughs> and uh, 
So you're gonna reevaluate your your opinion of Texas now? No, I, I, it'd take too much effort. Um, but it sounds like we both had good times. Uh, Mike, when he comes back, Mike went all over the country. I think. Yeah, he did. No, we should have waited and done this for, with him, but evidently he's, but he'll he might be recording this that stuff or whatever. And, which is good because I think it was Noel who, when we asked the kids like their favorite family trip said it was to the uh what do you call that the red box yeah, the red, at a walmart red in box west in Alice walmart. to rent a movie so uh so hopefully she now has a better family memory yep i agree all right what are we at peter uh just uh just about 36 minutes oh so this is glorious should... all right let's go to our uh, main topic brings us to our main topic, which is thinking about death, which some of you may be doing at this point, um, having listened to 38 minutes, I think Peter said. 36. 36 yeah. minutes, uh, probably 38 once you put the music in yeah, of this episode. But this is something that uh, I don't think is necessarily simply a religious... It wasn't designed to prepare you for death. That wasn't why we, rec- we recorded the first part of this right. episode, just just to be clear. Yeah, uh, but... Um, this isn't something that I don't think is necessarily just a religious question or thing. I don't think it's simply theological. I, I think many of the great novels deal with issues like this. Um, I'm thinking what Faulkner as I lay dying, things of this nature. But uh, this is something that people from the beginning of time have wrestled with is there's this thing called death and should we think about it or try to hold it at bay and I think we live in a society that largely has chosen to try to hold it at bay. Um, people often, and God bless hospices, I think that hospice is a wonderful thing, and, and the nurses who work in hospice are some of the most wonderful people I've ever encountered um, when I was in parish ministry. But it's not something that a lot of people see. Sometimes I'll ask students, how many of you have been at a deathbed? And it's just not something that's a thing that many experience. And even at funerals now, oftentimes uh, talk of death or funeral is lost in um, memorial or celebration, but especially memorial, right, remembering the past and not um, thinking about the great seeming break that has happened. And this is something I think that maybe makes it more difficult for us as the West and as a country uh, to wrestle with some of the the most important questions of human existence. Uh, you'll oftentimes hear people say that when they find out they're dying, they feel more alive than they've ever felt before because right now life has a purpose or a meaning that it maybe didn't have before. Each day is now imbued with a sense of uh, urgency, or if not urgency, at least uh, imbued with a sense of, a, there's, of meaningfulness, significance. And so this might seem odd to some people that we would be talking about, should we be daily thinking about death? I don't think what we mean here, Peter, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, is thinking about how we're going to die. Maybe you are thinking every day about how you're going to die. (laughs) I would like not to drown or be burnt up. 
um, if you've ever watched 1984, uh, or I should say read, the movie's not really that good representation of the book, but, um, you know, Winston's great fear of death is one of my own. That would be very unpleasant. Hmm. Um, but rather just death itself as a thing. Um, and so, Peter, maybe I'll just toss it to you. What comes to mind when I bring up, we just briefly mentioned before the episode, um, the consideration of death and maybe even the daily consideration of death? Yeah, I think that um, there's there's certainly a religious component here because I think we we all, as as human beings, are confronted with this and then how we're going to deal with that. And this is this is what almost all of the great religions are, are doing. They're 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 pulling us in and saying, "Hey, we we all have this this shared question, so let's let's have an answer for it." And that's not to equate religions in any way. It's just to say this is a human question. It's something that's very real. I think it's Camus that says um, that uh, life life is absurd, and the only real choice we have is is suicide. And if and it's uh, if you decide against suicide, then you're freed to like look at look at the world as absurd. I think it's something like that. And but, I was going to interrupt with that. That you know, so it's not just religion; it's also philosophy. Because right. Sartre will make a big point of this too. Um, and Camus, I know, objected to being an existentialist, and I think Sartre maybe to some extent, but, um, you know, the man who's drafted the to war mark of an existentialist. but doesn't want to go to war, well, what makes that man still accountable? You know, right, in freedom, he still has to take responsibility for his decision. Well, he could have committed suicide. Right. Yeah. No, and that's, and, and the point isn't that, it's not about suicide. I think sometimes um, people get obsessed about that, but the point is that we have, as human beings, we have a choice, and death is in front of us, that's a, that's a certainty, and we all have this choice, and so we're not like the squirrel running around your backyard who doesn't have a choice, they just live, and then eventually his car runs them over, or whatever happens, maybe they get lucky and get get gray, and then can't find enough nuts one winter. We actually have a choice. We have this. We have this. Um, this rational capacity that allows us to to recognize our own life and our own death, and then make a choice between that. And what they're driving at is that this is fundamentally human. And religions, very frequently, I, I would say always, but I don't. I don't know all the religions out there, but they um, they pick up on this and they're asking that exact same question: Why, or what do we do with the fact that we're going to die? And sometimes we push it away. Sometimes we, we try to embrace it. There's all kinds of different ways. So right away, I think it's a religious question, but I mean that in the broadest possible sense, which maybe is just a human question. Um, why do humans have religion in the first place? I think this is one of the main reasons for religion as a thing. Again, not Christianity in particular, although Christianity definitely deals with this as well. And that's where, where if we want to go down the down the Christian or even more specifically Lutheran uh, road, it's real obvious to say, well, we have death. What's the cause of death? We start talking about sin and then we get to, you know, the need for a savior. These, I mean, these things all tie together, but I don't think we even need to go there right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, you are right to say when we're talking religion here, we're using it as a, a big kind of umbrella term for, um, you know, big questions, even philosophical things. Um, that fall under some wrestling with what happens after or what is the meaning of death itself, this mm-hmm. event that takes place. No, and even after is too limiting because, I mean, part of it is, is there an after, mm-hmm. right? And these questions that, that pull And if out. there is or isn't, what's the purpose of there being or not being one? Right, exactly. And I think that these are all these are questions that you don't even have to get to the point of, of having the conversation about 
about the Christian funeral and burial and Christian death and, and death in the, in, the, in the cross of Christ. And we'll talk about that, I think, but we don't have to get there. And so when you asked me, what do you think of, I really do think of as this, this is kind of the all-encompassing question. Now, if, if Mike were here, he would probably interject right away and say, and this is, this is the inroad that we use to, to talk, you know, vocationally and apologetically to our neighbors that we, you know, we go through that. And I think that's true, but for a moment at least, just stay back, I think, and just say what, you know, why is it, why is it so fundamental to humans that we deal, that we deal with death and then how do we do it? So, and if you just think, um, big picture, if you are someone who travels or you're on, you've watched travel channels a lot, or you just are a student of history, what are most, maybe not most, maybe most, what are many of the most grand, memorable monuments in history attached to the death of someone, right? The pyramids in Egypt, um, you know, it, uh, some of the great cemeteries that we, the, just in, in the American imagination. and <laughs> The I Iliad? Mean, yeah, the Iliad itself. Um, you know, but think of Arlington National Seminary. Not seminary. <laughs> uh, <coughs> cemetery. That's Those, a different place people go to die. Yeah. And, uh, and Mike referenced that with Bonhoeffer last episode. <laughs> yeah. But, it, it, you know, seminary really should be where you go to die, by the way. And if that doesn't happen in seminary, I think... Uh, there's something wrong with the seminary training you're getting because it shouldn't just be, you know, uh, well, another episode. <laughs> but, um, you know, these things were all attached to death and someone wanting to be remembered or a culture or society wanting to give a purpose to death, maybe even overcome death in some way. Um, what is it, the Shelley poem? Is it Ozymandias about the monument that's kind of weathered by the, the wind with time? And... Uh, but the, just death marks many of the most defining monuments of human history. Yeah. It, it's just something that's there. And I would say, too, death is central to almost all the great narratives of human history, too. And you mentioned the Iliad. Um, but just this uh, wrestling with what is this, this thing. Um, maybe, Peter, if you want to build on your thoughts on it as religion, or maybe the role... Even it's played uh, in philosophy or, or, or thought today, wherever you want to go with it. Yeah, well, so just to touch on the Iliad, we had I had suggested very early on in the podcast one of the an episode idea is Achilles quest, Achilles decision. And if you're not familiar with the Iliad, Achilles um, is the the main hero of the Iliad, and he's presented. It always bugs me that he's a hero too. Yeah, well, I do not like Achilles. <laughs> who's who's your favorite? Who's your favorite king or favorite hero in there? Uh, you know, I kind of like Paris. Yeah. Seems like he just got wrong. Flaunting around the battlefield and then getting whisked away by goddesses. And um, yeah, I don't I don't care for Paris. I don't know. Odysseus, maybe. I don't know. Diomedes. That's the that's the right answer. But it uh, (laughs) I mean, I kind of like Agamemnon, too, because. No, Agamemnon's a jerk. And he's like. But but he's honest about it. Like he's he's like, yeah, I took, you know, I wronged you, Achilles, but I'll make it right by like. He's just like self-appointed king of kings. And that always bothers me. And then he's kind of a. Kind of a dink about it. So. What I don't here's what I don't like about the Iliad, is uh, right at the beginning it's like what rage seized you, Achilles? Or I'm trying to remember the, mm-hmm. isn't the Greek almost like it, it was in your thalamus? Or it's it, but what rage yeah. like occupied your guts? Yep. So like it's one big absolution of Achilles, 
And then like he's stabbing people after they're dead. And like, everybody look, the dogs are going to eat them. And now everybody take, it's like a sixth grade like battlefield of like, everybody come poke this dead body. Oh yeah, no, he's dragging Hector around and around yeah. and around. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, Hector. The, I was thinking Hector, not Paris. Sorry. Oh yeah. Okay. I can see Hector. Yeah. yeah no. No. Not pa- Paris. Paris is the you know yeah. he's the one that takes um no Hector Helen or whoever Hector just seems to be dude just can't win. Yeah. No. Hector's, Literally. Hector's yeah he's a sympathetic character. So for not sure. Paris. I, I withdraw that. So Achilles is given the decision by um, goddess. Uh, you know, do you want to live a long life, but in obscurity go back home and you can you can do that or you can stay here but you will die but you will be you will be remembered forever right and of course we can say well he is remembered forever we have the iliad um the the one of the greatest monuments ever made to man um to a man um and he chooses obviously um to 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 die but to be remembered and uh, to be immortalized in and you know in our in our reading of it at least in the in the iliad and in some ways, if only we had this decision in front of us, right? And so I, I had suggested this as a as a possible topic because I think there's a lot just to kind of think about that question. Which I think we even maybe had this as a free for all. I can't remember. Did we? Maybe we maybe did. It's, it's been too many episodes, I guess. Um, but uh, the that question of if you could decide that, what would you do? Um, just to just to wrestle with that and then realize. What you're wrestling with is is death, and then you realize death is inevitable, and all these things that just kind of naturally and logically follow and fall out of that. And this is what Achilles is wrestling with in the in the story, in the myth, and um, this is what we, you know, are really in a sense wrestling with. Not, am I going to be more memorialized in you know uh, a, a great epic poem that is recited? Which I have to think for, I am. Uh, you know, a couple millennia, but yeah, I, I mean, I assume you'll that's write the that case, for me. Right? right? I'll write one for you. <laughs> Whoever, we'll, we'll make a deal. Whoever lives longer, they have to write the, the arma verumqua patros qui primus. We're gonna do it in Latin, but um, no. So the uh, that that question though of you know what is this life about, and this comes death always folds back on itself for me it always it's always a question when when we when we start thinking about death whether it's just you know at night as you're going to sleep and you're you know thinking about your uncle that just passed away or something like that or his uncle yeah or if you um are just thinking about your own mortality maybe maybe you're in a lot of pain or you have you have some uh, ailment that's that's been plaguing you and you start thinking about it what you're thinking about is is what's what's ahead of you but you're also thinking about what you're doing now yep. what's behind you yep. it always is folding back on itself and death is uh if if we didn't have death we would we it's hard to imagine humanity i know that that god created perfect how do you read a story um, that doesn't have an end right exactly and everything drives to this end i was going to actually get to the the whole idea of telos and teleology what is the point of achilles if he doesn't <laughs> have well, no, a death if if achilles if achilles decides to go back and and live in um in a Obscurity. But still, his death and obscurity is what gives us what allows right. us to pass judgment on his life. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and well, and that's very that's very Greek of you to say. You know, you have to you have to be at the end of life in order to pass judgment. This is, I mean, Aristotle, but certainly it's just kind of a Greek concept. You can't you can't just make an assessment until it's complete. Um, sure. The idea that you could always you could always screw it up, or maybe you could salvage it. <laughs> um, but we have to we have to wrestle with this, and so I was saying, you're laying in bed at night and you're thinking about this, and you're 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 folding back in your life. You're thinking about what you want to do. We always have these grand plans, and um, and then we look back five years after making the plans, and they don't look anything like that. And I want to cure dandruff. It's a wreck. That's that's your that's your grand plan. 
I think you've it, made some life decisions. I think it's very selfless of me because it uh because I don't have enough hair that it helped me. <laughs> I want to do something for others. So, that's very altruistic. Well, I, one of the episodes that make you, I does that make you feel better about, about yourself? It does be yes, because I'm not concerned. So, about do myself. you think it's altruistic of you, or or maybe it's egoistic? Like maybe well, for my own self-aggrandizing, I am purposefully <laughs> picking something that benefits <laughs> others. Oh, so is that egoism then? Well, that's another like, episode. Yeah, I guess okay. we'll have to talk about. But I, I do think, uh, and maybe Peter, if you can help me analyze this. And you said it's very Greek of me to judge the life by the end. Um, I think it there's an element of Christian thought in that as well. Uh, in the fact of right, the resurrection is what vindicates Christ. <clears throat> it, uh, you know, if he had not rose, then his death is as a criminal, whatever else, and no one's thinking about all the miracles he did or mm-hmm. the people he fed, whatever. But I, I get your point and I agree with your point. And I don't know th- where I fall with the point I was trying to make. But I do think there is something too. Um, we inherently read our life in two ways. We read it in, in view of our death, the future. And we read it in life or in view of um, our past as we choose to remember it at that point mm-hmm. and like so high, sc- high school reunion right view right yeah. so the well i could say three ways in the present too because the present is the funnel for the past so we could read it in light of the past if something traumatic happened to me then i'm going to read things through that mm-hmm. that trauma but what i'm getting at is uh well when gerhardt says if you think uh you know if your life has been bitter heaven will taste all the sweeter mm-hmm do you think, or or what do you think is the significance of even the pagans? And I would say here, too, um, I find it interesting that in religions that historically have had an afterlife, but in their more, if I can say liberal or reformed or um, modern incarnations where the afterlife has been downplayed, the idea of memoria has become even more important, mm-hmm. that you remembered it through your philanthropy or, you know, things I don't want to discourage either. But... um how much of of this is a recognition of the and and here's where I'm trying to go with it. We live in a in an age um largely defined by death, I would say because existentialism right you yolo you only have one life to live <coughs> you know this you only is, live once is what yeah YOLO and actually so this means, is but. i mean that what is that that's a statement that is in relationship to death it it can't be divorced from that I mean it's a terribly trite statement and usually used very selfishly. Um, it's the only tattoo that I have, but right. Yeah. And, uh, but we tend to think of stories as highly individualistic, you know, this is my story type thing. And I wonder how much, um, there's been a recognition historically that what death does is it makes your story inherently necessarily, um, embedded in and intertwined with the stories of others. Um, when I die, if I'm on my deathbed and I wonder, did I live a good life? Many of the things that I in the moment now think mark a good life for me, you know, my truck died, so I have a new truck, so I have a car payment now. It's a used truck, but we're poor, so it's still somewhat <laughs> financed. Um, 
I don't have any big, you know, health problems that I know of other than like my big gut and my big proclivity to sleep in and, you know, uh, drink PBR and red meat and whatever. But, um, death kind of the pagan, everyone moves everyone beyond themselves in some weird way. Does this make sense or no? Yeah, I think so. Well, while now I'm looking at how good is my life and I'm thinking about myself, what death does is makes me realize, A, the people who live are going to remember me, but also makes me think, B, um, and maybe it's just because of that, the people who live are going to remember me. It makes me think about other people. Am, am I wrong on that? Is it, I think many of them, these leaders who want to build great monuments, what do they want to be remembered for? Being a great leader for the people. Right. You know, whether or not they were, I mean, when Caesar builds, you know, or, you know, um, who is it, the, who builds the gate in Rome? It, not um, Flavius. This is before. I don't do that history. <laughs> but anyways, you know, you they build that to show how um, you know beneficent they were. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah. But well, and so I don't want to get too far afield of that. But there's just something that pulls in there. So the question of um, I think in the modern age we look forward a lot, and so we don't look backwards. One of the things that death does is it force it, it, it historically it forces us to look backwards at our ancestors. And I think and that's so part of what I'm getting. At, and there's people there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so it, it it we looked backwards at our ancestors, and that became a really important thing. We need to we need to have our our ancestors um, <clears throat> memorialized, and we're saying, hey, this is uh, um, we want to remember them, and people will remember us then, and the the. Um, would you say the the exalting of 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 the of the old the aged right that it's good to be old that you that means you're wise these sorts of things and I think in the modern age we've we've shifted from that where we look forward and we look you know I, I always think of it as computers like computers are always coming out with new updates and we always want the latest update because and, and I the, think we see this with um, ancient or eastern religion right exactly what right. you're getting at right. No, and now that's, I'm a more social being, precisely, precisely because I'm going to die. Sorry, go ahead. Right, now. exactly. And with the, and then with the, in the modern view, we were looking at the, um, who, the, what's coming, what's coming up, what's next is best, and so we look at even like, you know, well, the 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 baby boomers don't matter anymore. It's all about the millennials. Why? Because well, the millennials are going to be around longer. They must be smarter. They're, you know, they're they're later. All of these things that I think really come from this the 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 computer age and understanding things to be progressing and i say computer age really really loosely it's not actually computers comes comes way before that but if you know anything about computers the the theory behind computers is developed way before computers actually exist and that all all drives us automobiles i individually now go somewhere you know um Right. Yeah. And all of this pushes us towards this, you know, towards like kind of a future a future looking or perspective or turn perspective. Whereas historically, at least in a lot in most cultures, you, you look you look back, you look at your ancestors. The ancestors are revered. That was the word I was looking for before. And, and I think uh, now stop interrupting yeah. here. But and this radically changes what's the role of your life. Right. Is it to honor the ancestors or is it even if I die, I contributed to progress? Right. Yeah. This that's exactly what I'm kind of getting to and that's where the connection of what you were saying earlier is where I saw that. And that that change is is extremely significant. We um we used to you've talked about, you know, having the the wake and, you know, Bill is is sitting out in the parlor in the in the house and and you know Bob if walks by. If you live in the city, your house has a parlor. You yeah. might have it has a different purpose now, but it was there for a reason. Right. And Bob walks by and raises his PBR and says, you know, you know, we'll miss you, Bill, uh-huh. and that's you know paying his his, his uh, um, respects to uh, to Bill. 
and death was was very present um, in a previous age, and we've 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 moved that away. And you mentioned 1984. My favorite dys, uh, dystopian novel is uh, is Brave New World, where death is removed entirely, and we just we just remove it ent- and entirely. And smoke embers going up, and this right. is this extremely charitable thing people have done by choosing to be cremated yeah right and then they don't and then they they if if you start thinking about it too much you quickly you know run off to the orgy and the orgy porgy and it's it's all you know just distraction and get get past that so you can just think about you know what you're doing right now or you know what's what's to come the whole idea of death being pushed off so then in there's a philosopher that I really like that that actually talked about this how we have this um, this fear of this fear of death and so we you know have cosmetics and we have um, uh, what's it surgery is this going to be Kierkegaard? No, not Kierkegaard. Um, no, this is uh, Catherine Pickstock. I've mentioned her before though, but um, but she's writing about or no she she's writing just about modernity in general um, okay yeah no but i i've looked at a, you sent me something on she did with death rituals or something yeah right? yeah okay. um but so she she talks about how you know we we push we push death off with uh with things that we want to we want to be young forever young right that's that's the dream and what she argues is that we've actually embraced death that we've actually become um, not necrophobias, not fear of death to push it off, but necrophiliacs because we want death to we, because we want we want things to stay exactly the same. And her point is and the I only think thing is, that this stays contributes the to same. the rise in suicides in our day. Yeah, no, the only thing that stays the same is death. Once you're dead, there's no change, and life itself is change. And so that's her argument. It's actually it's very fascinating. I mean, it's it's compelling. You can take it or leave it. But the point is, there have been changes in the way that we view death and we see it, and um, it culturally, societally, we we uh, we deal with this in different ways. So, what? Uh, maybe if we can unpack a little bit, Peter. One of the things that, and I I really dig where this is going because I think this really opens up for us to have kind of like a Ars uh, Morandi and Art of Dying episode on the Christian view of death and how. We approach that, but um, when we did that once with uh with a uh, pastor Borland, right? But I I think there's more in that. Um, no, I agree. I think the poetry and the art of it would be a neat way to look at it, if, especially if we could get some people who do art and poetry. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you knew like a, a um a lit prof that did poetry, oh, I have to look think about that. <laughs> yeah, but um, in 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 part of this is you guys did Kierkegaard who. Once again, I've heard is Kierkegaard, but I know that Professor Pausch didn't learn Danish between the episodes, so I will not <laughs> undermine his pronunciation. <clears throat> but um, and, and existentialist is just a title that's so broad now, and I'm I'm really kind of put off on how some titles just get thrown around, especially in Lutheranism. Uh, so I I want to be careful with that, but. The fact is that even for atheistic thinkers, death can be very animating, right? Death is what um, frees you, so to speak. And I'm thinking especially, I do a bit in ethics about how if Nietzsche and Sartre were working a suicide network, (laughs) you know, who would be worse? But, um... So what does Sartre say? Have you considered suicide? Right, and then then, uh, (laughs) Nietzsche's like, oh, you are weak, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whatever else, um, we really need to do a Nietzsche episode though, because and you said something in the, <coughs> the last episode that I agreed with, 
is that high school would be a great time to read Nietzsche. The problem is, you know who read Nietzsche in high school? Who's that? The Columbine Killers. <laughs> so you need to do, go, do it with a good teacher, right? Right. But there are things where what they're writing, are, this is what you're thinking at that time. Like, the, the, it's just the dynamics of, I mean, high school is, I always think of the movie Mean Girls, whatever, right? Like, this is, Nietzsche is Mean Girls. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but what I'm driving at here is, it's not that Sartre and Camus are not thinking about death. I mean, you read Camus and uh, The Stranger, and, I mean, it's just, the ending is great. I hope there's a large crowd of my execution and they greet me with jeers of hatred or however he puts it. But what they're really doing is, I think, cowardly. Because what they're making death, um, just a moment. Death is where your story ends. And what Christianity does, and I think it's somewhat uniquely Christian, it's inherited from, from Judaism. Well, uh, Judaism comes after Christianity. It doesn't predate it because the Old Testament is Christian. But, um, but it... Uh, Christianity says, what if it's not the end of the story? And I love what the Germans do at the last day. And correct my German if I'm wrong here, Peter, because it's been a while since I've been, I need to get back into it for research. But we say the last day, and the Germans say the youngest day, the, the, the youngest day, yeah. the newest, freshest day. And uh, I think that's why the Germans have some of the best resurrection hymns, by the way. <laughs> um, but there's this contemplation of death that it, I can control it because it's it. I'm writing my story, and this is the end of it. And there's no openness to my story's over in this life. Now someone narrates it, and now people read it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that would terrify a lot of people um, to contemplate that actually now this is where everyone steps in and looks at what did you leave in your wake? Um, what did you do with your time? Um, what does every great TV show does? Where are they now? <clears throat> you know, things of this nature. And so I'm not asking this in a way for you to make this Christian or we take this to heaven or hell. That's not what I mean at all. But I think, um, you know, with Plato and Aristotle, you have a metaphysic that's that still is very open to, like, there's no empirical way for us to know what comes next. And I think what we see post-Enlightenment is a um, a very uh, audacious, um, unscientific assertion and belief that, okay, this is it. And uh, maybe how uh, some of our listeners or people that our listeners encountered have really been handicapped. Uh, I don't mean that like disability, but like a horse race (laughs) or bowling. They've maybe been set behind by not um, having death set before them as death as death might be, as opposed to, and, and, and this is one of the things, Christians, you drive me nuts when you do this. When someone commits suicide, Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, whatever, do not write hateful stuff on social media. Do not write, oh, if only you had not been a liberal and knew Jesus. That is about as unchristian a thing as I think a Christian can do. And Peter, correct me if, if you're wrong, but it just drives me nuts. Here's an opening to talk about something, and I'm going to be the biggest uh, 
give me a word that's not offensive. <laughs> Jack and ape. Okay. That I can be. Um, but uh, and, and, and there is something. Christians take all such of stuff for granted that happens in the afterlife too that only comes through the revealed word. But do you get any of where I'm going at, Peter? Right. How do you open that door with people who aren't Christians that still, you know, you can't define death nearly as well as you think as you take for granted. Right. That so, just because you can't take a microscope with you doesn't mean there's not more. Yeah, the first thing I would say is just to the the whole suicide question is, you know, remember it's not our job to judge. We're not we're not there. And I always remember um, you know, the the passage that says God God wills that all men be saved, and that's my my you know, very sincere prayer that that God makes good in His will. <laughs> and Luther um, talks about men being like a man overtaken by robbers. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, so just to to just to kind of touch on that briefly, this is not, it's not, this isn't our job, um, and uh, it's not, it's not helpful. It's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good. And you can say, well, but I know I'm right. But then you got to step back and ask yourself, you know, what you actually know. And but, in what way do you know it that's different than what the person who commit who had a different possible take new god in his grace has revealed something to you maybe but we need well this is a whole nother episode right, right? no and I, I just wanted to kind of just highlight that but then the question of um you know what what you have to what what you do with death as a as a christian i think is is interesting and um i i don't know i was going to I was going to go a little different direction, but let me just say that so the the death certainly opens a door, and if Mike were here, he'd be talking about apologetics again, and it does. And but, I don't necessarily mean the, to go there, but no, no, yeah. but but it's but the thing is, you can't avoid it. I mean, this and this is where I started. I said this is the human question, and here's the thing: we do have an answer for this, right? And we have a good answer. And and Gerhard in that devotion is just it's just beautiful. It's I mean the 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 bitter waters and the and the the branch that's thrown into the bitter waters to make it yeah. sweet and that sweet and that's the um the branch of Jesse and I mean this is this is beautiful and this is a huge comfort and it's a comfort to us as Christians and it's a comfort that we should want to share in love and again getting back to the whole how do you respond to it's you know to a a public suicide you know this is that's not that's not a Christian response that's not right. that's you're not you're not you know bringing the gospel to people in that way no matter what a tragic thing has happened mhm that all of humanity realizes, like, this is, like, the most, well, it's either the most natural or the least natural thing of all, and it bothers people for both reasons. Yeah. No, and going back to Camus, he might say it's the most natural because it's the thing that you get to ultimately decide. I mean, you have ultimate control over this, and, you know, and that's... uh, And see, even that just presupposes that there's no outside acting for you. That your hubris isn't this, you know it, but yeah, yeah. So we don't have to go any more into that, though. So, um, what else? Were, what else were we talking about there? No, you, you were going to go somewhere before I took it where I where I went. But just this idea that um, the death is is off the radar for so many people that, or not death, that the afterlife yeah. or an afterlife or any, I would say even um, storytelling of the life. Like that it's all in control of the person. Yeah. So the question of afterlife, I think, is, is fascinating, too, because when you read the, the Greeks and the Romans, um, 
there's an there's an understanding of an afterlife there that is nothing like our understanding of afterlife. When we talk about this as the passing life, this is we're just you know what I I'm but a stranger here is the uh-huh. is the <laughs> the wonderful hymn. That's Wade's favorite hymn. In case anyone wonderful was wondering, two kingdoms hymn. Um, <laughs> but but uh, the the Greeks and the Romans actually saw it, it generally the opposite of that. Yep. That yep. that this was the this was the life, and that yeah, there's something afterwards, and I think. I've always understood this kind of like, well, there must be something afterwards, but it's, it's a shadow. It's a shade. It's not, it, it doesn't really count. And so you have accounts of, of people crossing over the river sticks and going to Hades and, and they, and they meet these, these shadows, these shades, and they're telling them, Oh, just go back and enjoy life and embrace it and, and tell people about me. Remember me because that's, yep. that's all they have to hang on to. And it's always looking back from the grave into life. And we look at it a different way as Christ, as Christians. And so to think about the different ways that people have, that, that humans have grappled with that, right? Um, you have, um, religions that deal with it in terms of reincarnation well you better be good now because you have another life coming and that life is going to be you might come back as a vikings fan that's right i mean you if you do really if you do really well (laughs) and uh take care of things um or if you don't you might uh end up as a bears or a lions fan yeah that's true (laughs) so no and so all these different ways that that we try to to uh to wrestle with that and to make sense of it and i think we should just you know make it explicitly christian here and just kind of like drive at that because this is what we have to offer and i think it's it's really important that christianity does islam and judaism do this to some extent but even islam's um islam's heaven is very earthy and well it's earthy in certain ways right uh but uh but christianity is unique for like no here's here's where the story really gets going Mm-hmm. You know, but well, and and Lutheranism is really unique in that um, you're looking at death, and you're immediately confronted with this question of why am I going to die? And in the Christian, in the Christian narrative, in the Jewish narrative, in the in the Islamic narrative, you have a God that creates, and He creates perfectly, and then there's a fall, and so we have a problem. The problem is sin, and that's the cause of death. And so we follow this. And this all makes sense. Um, we can we can make the you can make a logical argument here, and I'm not yep. saying it's the only argument you can make, but there is a logical argument to be made here. And so we have to deal with this. We're going to die. Why are we going to die? Well, because of sin, because of my sin. And now you have a big problem. And Lutheranism answers this in just the most miraculous way possible, in the most comforting way possible. And it says you can do nothing. You can do nothing at all. And I say Lutheranism, Christianity in general, but well, I mean Lutheranism specifically. Does too, and I would add this. Um, Lutheranism to me is the one that gets Paul right when he says to live as Christ, to die as gain. Lutheranism says, oh, yeah, dying, that'd be great. You'd be in heaven. But uh, if you remain, um, your neighbor needs you. Right. You know, it really does say this life is imbued with meaning, vocation. It is. And it's imbued with meaning not because of what you're doing for your you know merit in the next life but what you're doing because god's gonna for, use you right because yeah exactly because what you're doing for those around you and that as a tool of god and i would i would have sometimes have people who are in hospice and they'd say what can i do for god anymore hmm. and i would say what are you talking about you're you're doing it um i've had a nurse ask me how you can suffer and then talk about christ or whatever the case may be but even not that grand sometimes i'd say you know what um, I'm going to write some stuff down for you to pray for, for others in the congregation. 
And just to emphasize that, God has use for you for your neighbor here. But at the same time, I could say to him, but understand, God is just itching a trans for you to a better pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, um, <laughs> which wasn't hard to do. But uh, They were transferring membership to cross town or what? To Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but this, um, Lutheranism does it without diminishing either um, world ether. I don't know what you want to call well, it, but okay, so this, ion, this is a good point. This is something I want to say is we have this tendency, I think, we have this tendency, especially in the modern world, to, to minimize death. And we find all kinds of different ways to do that. I think Lutheranism is does a unique job of not minimizing it all. It The full force of death falls upon us and it and it weighs us down. And this is, go back to our simul use to sepicator um, episode. This At is, the same time a sinner and a saint. Yeah, this is, the, this is the struggle that we find and it's a real struggle. And it is truly our death, it is truly our sin, and yet it is truly our hope and confidence in Christ's death and resurrection. And this, this, to, to not minimize one of those is so terribly difficult for humans. We want to just take it yeah. and make it make it make sense. Um, and so we either we either minimize death. Well, death's not so bad. You know, you just pass away. There's nothing after that. Um, or you know, it's okay. You've got you know, you'll become a shade or whatever it might be. Angel. Um, yeah. Or we or we maximize and say, well, if you do really good right now, you know, death will be wonderful. Um, and both of those. Both or we of make those this run- life nothing. We say. Yeah, this is all just suffering, and there's nothing good here. And then, you know, the Middle Ages—you just wait to just wait yeah. till wait till heaven, right? Yeah. So, I mean, death is ever present. It's all—it's—it's it's always in front of us. And you, you know, the question that I guess we kind of posed at the beginning was: Should we think about death? Should this be something we that we probably get to that? Like, yeah. Um, and I, I think we can't help it. I don't think that you have a choice. I think it's there. And if you—and if you tell yourself you're not going to. Um, it eventually it's gonna it's gonna creep up on you and you know i'm well you know we're, we're both about 40 right now and it's yeah. like you know the the joints start aching a little bit and you know the gut gets bigger and you can't run as fast you cough and, funny or yeah like- <laughs> all these things and and every once in a while it catches you off guard and you think oh man i i i'm not gonna live forever like things aren't getting better right now they're getting worse and then there are the more obvious things, like when a family member passes away or a neighbor or just you see it on the news every night, yeah. right? Um, death is in front of us. We have to think about it. And then the question is, what are we going to do about it? And we haven't, we didn't come into this with a plan of like, okay, here's the answer. But but um, if I could just add, Peter, even as we get to that, and remind me what are we going to do about it. But you know what makes me think about death all the time is my kids. <laughs> like, what am I going to get to see of their lives? Like yeah. that... And, you know, I'll admit, I have always been a rather pessimistic, uh, you know, I'm not always, like, um, dwelling on the positives of life. But uh, it is something to have multiple kids. And and, and we both have five, right? You're at five now? You're not at six now? No. Okay. I mean, sometimes I literally stay up thinking, like, what will I? What grandkids will I see? Mm-hmm. What'll happen after? And not in a way that uh, is terribly depressing or anything, but just seeing new life or seeing young life more and more reminds me of the cycle of life. That you know, seeing just being a ball and watching my kids slide, 
And so then we had a, a party for my one of the teams I coached the other day, and they're all sliding on the slip and slide. I was like, well, coach, why don't you just slide? Well, because I will have to go to the emergency room. <laughs> I used to do that. I can't do that now. But seeing that and, and, and looking back and going, uh, I don't know, you think back to when you and Amy were younger or Trish and I were younger, and your concerns were just life's in front of you and and mm-hmm. here's what are we going to be and what are we going to do? And and this is, you know, the fun thing about the first kid. I see people I'm, I've confirmed now who are posting online about having their first kid and this first kid is like, everything's great, we're going to have our first kid. And they've got no, like, concept of, like, how that changes life and it changes life in a splendid way but it Mm -hmm. definitely changes life because now your life is not just about I mean it's just different and uh, again these things are on the are on the horizon and so I find myself you know thinking about death not only because my bones creak whatever which they do and uh, not but also my kids are younger and you know where they've been at and just I mean, you look at the world in history and some of the things that are history for us now, Peter, I remember them being on the news <laughs> and it doesn't seem like they were that that long ago, you know, and you guys joked last time about our generation and like, what do we have? Well, Reagan, <laughs> but like, there's a lot in there that doesn't seem like it's that far ago. And I, and I think um, part of the reason people thought the elders had wisdom is that the elders were brought to a point where... They could actually look at life. Um, I remember being in middle school and my mom taking me to Kmart and I had to buy Husky Wrangler jeans and her taking me to the Husky section at Kmart for Wrangler jeans, which is like the trifecta of being a loser in middle school <laughs> and uh, saying, well, are they tight in the crotch? You know, or whatever else. <laughs> and uh, and thinking like, if I have to wear these, you know, to whatever where my friends will see me, I just don't want to live anymore. Well, now I would give, I would live... If you could tell me, Wade, you'll live 300 years if you wear Husky Wrangler jeans. <laughs> a, I have no choice. That's the only that would fit me at this point. <laughs> but, um, you know, how your, how your perspective changes on that. Well, um, that's a, I, I, would, I would put it this way. It's a gift that only comes with gray hair. Yeah, no, and I've noticed, I've found myself doing math more often and thinking about how, yep, how long amen. did my grandparents live you know, how long, you know, do I think my parents will have? How old will my kids be? All of these things. And that, I mean, it might sound morbid and it's not meant to be. It's just a, it's, it's really a, a question of like, um, thinking about the, the cycle of life, like you said, Wade, and it's just the, you know, going, going through that process and deciding or not deciding, just, just recognizing that this is something that happens. It's going to happen and it does happen. And it's, there's, there's sadness in it and there's joy in it and there's misery in it. And there's, you know, exultation in it, not final exultation. I mean, just in, in this life itself and all of those things that we, that we go through. And this is all part of the human experience and we have to come to, we have to come to terms with that. So if I have to answer the question, I'm going to say, yes, you should think about death. And you should think about death in an honest way. And sometimes that's very difficult. And if it gets too difficult, I'm not, I certainly don't want to minimize depression. I think that this is a real thing. And so, I mean, if it gets difficult, you need to talk to other people and, and deal with that. But you, need to, you also need to be able to confront it and, and recognize that this is going to happen. And if you do that, um, there's a lot of questions that come flooding in. But there's also a lot of 
a lot of answers out there and a lot of comfort as um, John Gerhardt gave us in the uh, in the scripture narrative. So that's what I have to say. And I think uh, we're trying to ma- not to make this too explicitly Christian for this episode. But I will say, um, even those who, from a Christian standpoint, have maybe gotten it wrong. From I always tell my students, like, sometimes, you know, people aren't Christians. They disagree with you, whatever else. Like, why do you want to make their life less enjoyable by being obnoxious? Like, you know, try to convert them, whatever else. But, like, you should want to give them a decent life because this is what they have. So I will say, even from a non-Christian perspective, um, I can think of few who were worse for the wear by thinking about death than those who were better off for not thinking about it. I think not thinking about it has made us, as a culture, just tiresomely shallow, um... I, it just saddens me um, to see people's lives, to see all of life defined by one's 20s. <laughs> and uh, I think the standards we use in large part now for defining a good life, for defining significance, um, it's just stuff that you grow out of. And I, I tell my students often, I said, I, you know, I wish I could go back and be you now sometimes. But at the same time, um, now is going to lose its uh, It's varnish, its luster. And there's a real value in that. I mean, there was a day, I mean, if you would have told me, Wade, you're going to be fat, bald, gray, um, I would have thought, well, what life is that? And there's still times that I go, I shouldn't be fat, bald, and gray. <laughs> I can't help bald, but I, uh, or gray, but it. Uh, but is there value in in thinking about death? <clears throat> I would say, even if you're not a Christian, absolutely, because it amplifies the value of life insofar as you are able to discern it. And the non-Christian is not able to discern it to the same extent as the Christian. But the non-Christian is also many times discerned it to a pretty stinking good extent, mm-hmm. right? There's just beautiful things that have been said and done and and written and performed for humanity um, with death in view. Um, what would humanity be without death? I mean, only Genesis 1 and 2 can answer that. I can't. I can't answer that. But I I do have to delight in a God who has turned even this disastrous fall, this catastrophe, into something that has made mankind dance, memorize epic poems, paint things we could never imagine, carve things out of stone that no one would have thought you could carve, um do things for others that they never otherwise would have done um, and retell it. Um, And I think to piggyback on the unsafe authors thing you guys did where, I mean, I still, (laughs) the older I get, the more I think 
unsafe needs to be more widely um i think sometimes the most unsafe thing is to only read safe people if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah, like no i yeah i would agree with um that. that's a that's a line that would have been helpful in the last couple yeah. episodes but but um but it just uh to build on that and i think um professor pauschen talked about bonhafer and his courage and in the context of that I'm not asking for a fallen world. Right? It's just what I've been dealt. But I, I, I do just got to give praise to a God who has used vocationally um, as the narrator of history, the the great poet, used even that to work such amazing things. So should you think about death? Yes. Should we build chapels out of skulls like happened in the Middle Ages? I don't know. I kind of think part of that's cool, part of it not so much. Should we be morbid? Absolutely not. I think Christianity leaves no room for being morbid. I think Lutheranism has no room for morbid Christians. It, uh, this is, I don't mean someone who's melancholy. That's a separate thing. That's an affliction, and, and you deal with it. Um, but morbid, you know, um, it, this is where Luther following the Middle Ages was so grand. But I, but I do think, uh, and, and this is where I think Kierkegaard was good. Was uh and you know Professor Pausch to mention was he a Christian or not, and I don't know who thinks he wasn't a Christian. Whatever I, I can I say you, something. You just, you just like to think that he was right. I just and don't understand what joy anyone ever gets in saying someone wasn't a Christian. <laughs> like what does that bring you? No, Is there some secret like candy bar you get? Yep. But I think Professor Pausch had a great answer. He was not a Christian like the Church of Denmark was at that right. time or whatever else. Um. Do I think Kierkegaard was a Christian? I think absolutely, and I think what most offended him <coughs> was a state church, a Christianity that um, had largely put death out of the equation. This was just how to live a good social life. So I'm talking too much, Peter, but I'll, I'll leave it to you. To yeah, so one of the things you said there was, do, do I want to live in a fallen world? Well, I don't get a choice, right? That's where we are. We're in a fallen world. We're in Unless a world. you vote. So-and-so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're in a fallen world. This is this is our this is our lot and we're sinful, we deserve it. And yet God comes in and gives us this wonderful gift, this rod of Jesse, this this branch of Jesse, and he throws it in the bitter waters and makes it sweet, and he makes even this life, even with death, sweet so that we are free to let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drinker. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down. I don't care what the people are thinking.